Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Antramika Knight. It is my pleasure to welcome you here to River City. This Veterans Day, I want to take this time to say Happy Veterans Day to any of our veterans here at River City. We thank you for your service. Um, yes, thank you. Um, we want to definitely keep in prayer the veterans that are not just a part of our body, but um, are also just a part of God's community. Um, those who are also actively serving um, and protecting us, protecting our country, sacrificing. Um, it's easy to take for granted the fact that we can gather publicly or exercise our right to vote or go to a restaurant on a Saturday. We take those things sometimes for granted, but those are all things that our veterans help keep um, aligned for us here. So I just want to thank them for their service. Um, and so if you know a veteran, definitely say thank you as well. Um, here at River City, one way that we think about the global church each week is we read from the lectionary. Um, the lectionary this week is going to be Psalm 127, and the screens are working. Um, they told us <laughs> this morning the screens weren't working, and it's a reminder that when we're doing things in the honor of the Lord or working through our day-to-day -day lives, that the Lord gives us things to partner with, but not to depend on. So, you know, technology is one of those things that we are to partner with, but not depend on. So I'm thankful that the screens are working, um, but I was gonna be creative and do an interpretive dance to 127, Psalm 127. Yeah, look, and there we go. <laughs> uh, and it says, <clears throat> unless the Lord builds the house, those who built it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, he should not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Oh, that was it. I thought it was longer. 
Okay, so we'll bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for it being Carabiner Sunday where we will be able to honor one another, be thankful for one another. Thank you, Lord, that you have created an opportunity for us to gather in your name. Set aside time each week in which we can honor you, honor the church. We thank you for the members here at River City as well as the visitors. We thank you for the unbelievers who are opening and softening their heart to what you have for them, God. God, we pray that our day-to-day lives point people back to your word, point people back to who Jesus is, that he is the ultimate comforter, the best friend you can ever have. Thank you for the intimacy of the Bible, a love letter written directly to us and for us, Father God. Thank you that you continue to strengthen us for where we feel weak, Father God, and not just for our bodies or mentally, things that we have felt chained and bonded by. We thank you, Father God, that you deliver, that you never fail. We thank you, Father God, that we are able to experience the seasons as they change. You have crafted everything from the weather to our bodies to our families so perfectly, Father God, and we thank you for those things today. God, we repent for the things that we take for granted in you, your honesty, your faithfulness, your mercy, God. Sometimes we walk our day-to-day lives and we forget just how you are partnering with us step by step. So, Lord, we we repent for those times that we honestly forgot about you. And instead, Lord, we just pray that we can move forward and continue to give you the honor and the glory you deserve. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning tangible presence pouring over us, filling us to overflowing. We've seen your face again this morning. Thank you that anytime we turn around, you are there. Wherever we've been, however we've However far away we've walked, however many times we've fallen, you are there. You are faithful. We thank you for that. As we transition into the prayers of the people, I'm going to ask you guys to participate with me this morning. So when I say, let us pray to the Lord, I want you to respond, Lord, have mercy. With all our hearts and all our minds, let us pray to the Lord saying, Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above, for the loving kindness of God, and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the holy church of God, and for the unity of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. For Josh and Sarah and all the River City staff and wise counsel, let us pray to the Lord. If you have any concerns you'd like to present to the Lord on behalf of the church, its members, and its mission, speak them out here.
For the president, for the leaders of the nations, for our state officials, local representatives, and city council, let us pray to the Lord. For the city of Smyrna, for every city and community, and for those who live and work in them and are impacted by those who live and work in them, let us pray to the Lord. If you have any concerns you'd like to present to the Lord on behalf of the nation, Georgia, Smyrna, and all in authority, speak them out here. For the crisp air and beautiful sunshine this morning and all of the reminders of our creator we experience each day, let us pray to the Lord. For the good earth which God has given us and for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. For those traveling today and this week for work and for personal reasons, let us pray to the Lord. For the veterans in our lives and community who may struggle with what their service exposed them to and who may struggle with their physical and mental health as a result of their service, let us pray to the Lord. If you have any concerns for the welfare of the world and our community, speak them out here. For those who can't be here today for health reasons, for the widowed and the orphaned, and for the sick and the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. For the poor and oppressed, for the unemployed and the underemployed, for the prisoners and the captives, and for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. For all who have died in the hope of the resurrection and for all who are no longer with us, let us pray to the Lord. For deliverance from all danger, violence, oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. For the forgiveness of our sins and offenses, let us pray to the Lord. If you have any concerns for those who are suffering or in trouble, speak them out here. that we may end our lives in faith and hope without suffering and without disapproval or disappointment, let us pray to the Lord. Defend us, deliver us, and in your compassion, Lord, protect us by your grace. Lord, have mercy. In the communion of the saints, let us commit ourselves and one another and all our lives to Christ our Lord, to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. As you heard before, we're going into the season of Advent, and for our church, it's a big deal. Just for you to know, when we started the church, Advent was not something we were fluent in. It was actually brand new for me. Coming out of a charismatic movement, things like Advent weren't, um, while there are so many strengths in that stream, one of the things that I think is lacking in that stream is some, some of the things you can tether yourself to over time. 
And Advent for me has become one of the things we look forward to the most in the year. We do a story with our kids every night from the storybook. Uh, what's the book called? We forget, so we're terrible at Advent, but we're learning. But many of you have done that book as well, and it's a story a night. It's really great. Um, it's Ann Voskamp's book. So this year, one of the things we're doing at church, though, is we are going to do four weeks of Advent again. With each week, though, we're going to kind of chum the communal portion of it so that we can be together and seek God together. So one of the things, and I've, I've said this before, but normal church attenders in America today would say they're a part of a church while attending church once a month, which is just the norm now. It's not even like, we're not even angry. It's just, this is what it is. And so during Advent, one of the things we really want to do is create reasons to gather and be more communal. So a couple of the things we're going to do is we're going to have a breakfast to kick it off where we can all gather, have breakfast together. We're going to have a Sunday where we allow people to stay after, go downstairs to the new space and watch the Falcons and have pizza. We're going to do a kind of a sending party for James and Julia one day. And then one day we're going to do something during service to celebrate and help serve our community together. So the idea is for you guys to, and there's, for, for all of us, there's every reason in the world to not making being together a value. All of us have 15 reasons we can label that feel very, very legitimate. For this season, we're asking you to be a part in a different way, to build relationships around who you gather with and to make it a priority. And so for Advent, which starts the week of December 3rd, um, there's so many reasons to be together. Even before that, right? We're doing three weeks now on the table, which for our church is kind of a big, big deal. Second, December 2nd. So, but the three weeks before that, we're going to be talking about the tables of Scripture. We're going to be looking specifically and exploring the different tables, and there's a lot. But for clarity for you, we talk a lot about the table, and I just want you to know there's a couple different things happening. The space downstairs is literally called the table, and the reason is because we're using it to position ourselves to serve our city. So there's a lot of events already happening in there. We have a group called Welcome to the Table, which is for people who are brand new to meet the staff, to get to kind of build relationships over about a month and a half. Probably the most successful group we've ever had because it's produced a ton of fruit about people connecting as they start. We actually have tables everywhere. Here, you could actually all take a table home today and we'd have plenty left. It's, it's table Sunday. Just take whichever one you like home with you. So, and the reason this is here is because we believe that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was building his church and everything that he was doing around the table. In the Old Testament, he was building it around the idea of the Passover. In the New Testament, the idea of communion. And there's so many other things in Scripture that talk about the table. And I actually just reread it this morning to freshen my mind. But if you do a search for the tables in Scripture, we all have Google now, right? We're all geniuses now. We can all find out whatever. My son knows everything now. He swears by everything who's the best batting batter in the MLB? I'm like, it's not the MLB. Don't say the MLB. That's like saying sports games. He's like, who's the best batter in the MLB? And I'm like, buddy, that's not a Google question. I can't tell you the best average. I'm, I'm sidetracking, but it's okay. So, but if you look, the most common thing talked about when the table is mentioned is Jesus reclining at it. So if you, and there's tables all throughout the Old Testament. There's one with Melchizedek, which we all know him. There's one in Revelation we're going to talk through, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's the one we've talked through so many times here, which is built around communion. There's the book that we've really tried to get all of you to read, and we build our Welcome to the Table group around by Henry Nouwen called Life of the Beloved. 
which is this idea that we are the, the communion. Like, we're, as Christians, we are the communion. We are chosen, like you choose the bread, as people. We are blessed, like he blesses the bread. We are broken, which we do not like, but it's necessary to have anything to say. And then we are given, right, to the world. We're just like the table. And so we see in Scripture that the table is a very good picture of the church, of the heart of the church, of Jesus' passion. It's really things built around the table. But just for you to start and kind of get your thoughts going, the table's in our lives, right? And this is a little sad to me. This week, is a, I really love talking about what I'm about to talk about, but it also made me sad because it's something that we see in our home. It's something that is just a norm, right? Like the value of a table in our home. What does it represent? What does a table represent in a home? And it represents so much. But the idea of a table is it's the place in your home. It's maybe the only place in your home where you sit face to face with those who you love. It's maybe the only place where you can sit at it and the people who know you best as you're in that table can see is something right or is something wrong with this person. There's really no hiding at the table, right? If you hide at the table and you're in the midst of the family, somebody's going to be like, Sarah, are you okay? Like, is something going, or Noah, like, what's, why are you punching your sister in the face? Like, here at this table. At the table, we can't, so, so this is the place of community. It's the place of intimacy. It's the place of relational intimacy. It's where, if you start dating someone, you gather around. You go to where? You don't go to a couch. You shouldn't. You should have a talk with somebody before you do that. <laughs> like, we, we can do some talking about that. You don't go to a couch. You go to a table, right? Because there's a... There's a gathering place around it. You have a meal, right? Table represents where you're nourished. Table represents preparation. Like a table is where you prepare for the meal, too. You prepare together, right? Like we've lost, completely lost that art. Now it's really reliant on usually the females in our home to, to figure out what's going on with that. And then we show up at the table and we're like, yep, let's do it. We're here. We're here to eat. We love community. <laughs> but here's the sad part, right? So... We don't value the, just the table in the simplest form anymore. We don't. We gather around TV shows. We even do this. Like last night, we watched the movie about Winnie the Pooh. And it was good. It was really good. I really recommend that movie to you guys. I would, I would watch it today. It like changed me a little bit, and I'm not even kidding. But we gather with our food around that. We put our kids on the floor, and we get the seats, and that's the way we do it in our house. And you can judge if you want, but we don't. We do gather around the table, and we have rules at the table, right? And my kids even call me out, Daddy, you're on your phone a lot. And maybe you're on your phone a lot. And the idea of fast food, right? Like this is a clever, fast food is this, and this is all of us. You can now eat on your way to working or while working or while listening or while doing something when the history of meals, period, had this idea of coming together to set the world out and be together. You don't even have to worry about that part of it anymore. You can have sustenance while you're working. It doesn't even make sense. Fast food, right? Let's remove all relationship from eating. Here, fast food. You don't have to have togetherness to eat. So our, our kids are jacked up. We're jacked up. We don't understand the value. And some of you, if you sat around the table with your actual family, you'd all be like, this is really awkward, guys. Let's go back to watching MASH, right? Because many of you are watching MASH still. So, all right. Good show. All right, so in the Old Testament, you gather around Passover. In the New Testament, communion or the Eucharist, 
It's the idea of the invitation where Jesus is the center. It's the thing that we celebrate in every church, in every denomination. This is, this is our, let's, let's build something around this, the Eucharist. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about a passage I've actually spoken to you before. And I just love this passage. I think it's abused, honestly. I've abused it. I've seen it for the wrong things. But at its best, the table is an extremely beautiful thing. At its worst, it's a place where you're reminded that you don't have value, that you're not, you don't have identity, that you're abused. At its worst, you're reminded in a family group, I don't have anything to bring. We get our food and go sometimes in church if what is the table. I'll say this very clearly, and I don't cast stones at anyone, but we do expect fast food church to be okay, even those of us who are going after the right things. We show up for sustenance, we leave. If we're not getting sustenance, it's, the table's not really about that, right? The table's about who's bringing what. We're all bringing something. I'm bringing the topic tonight. My kid's bringing the game. You're bringing the food. You're bringing the salad. We're all bringing something, right? We don't do that anymore. If we, especially in American culture and church, if we're not satisfied with one week of something, we're outie. Because there's something right down the street doing that a little better, right? We have a fast food mentality, not just for food, but for the table that the Lord has prepared for us. There are portions of this meal that are not intended to be fast. And if you want it fast, you will never develop and grow, right? You will never have to sit across from a Judas who is betraying someone at the same table. And you may never meet a John, which I was told before service is something very different if I don't explain it. Now I know. Who is the best friend of Jesus if you don't sit long enough, right? You'll never make space for someone who's harming you and allow the Father to heal them. You'll never let someone lean upon you. You'll never learn to recline in life. And I can just tell you, as the words of the illustrious Winnie the Pooh says, sometimes going nowhere is going somewhere. And I believe that's true. And I think you should watch that movie if you're struggling with working too hard or feeling like you're too busy, and you can just cry by your... I'd watch it by myself, not at a table. I'm going to read to you Matthew 21, 12, 12 through 17. And you guys can follow along in your passage. This is the English Standard, Standard Version. I love this version. So I'm going to read it kind of slowly because I want you to really take it in, okay? And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were, that being the chief priests and the scribes, were indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there, which for him is a place to go and kind of be alone. So I'm going to pray. Do close your eyes. Jesus, we, we know that your word, we know that we need your word. And in this passage, particularly today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to let the sword of your Spirit do the work on our own hearts. We're going to be tempted at some point 
to look at other people and want to flip over the things in their lives. We're going to be tempted to make this passage about someone doing something wrong at church. But I pray that you would let us do what we need to do in our own hearts so that we can become your beautiful church. And I pray if you're putting your finger on something that really annoys us, bothers us, or stirs us and makes us angry, that you'd help us to satisfy what you're trying to do in our own hearts before we decide to work in others. And then maybe we'll have some wisdom, insight, and the power and love of the Holy Spirit to speak truth into people who really need it. In name we pray. Amen. So just really quickly, the picture, Bill, I don't know if you got a picture of the, did you get a picture of the temple? So the picture of this temple, this is the temple, right? And this, I've never shown this image, but this is a massive, massive temple. This is where people went to worship. Even, even in Acts, after Jesus has come and powered the church through the Holy Spirit, they're still going to the temple, right? Like, they're still gathering in homes, breaking bread together. They're still meeting in the temple. This particular story is happening in what's called the court of the Gentiles. So I'm just going to walk you through this, and you can just look at me for a second. So as you enter the temple, there's the court of the Gentiles, which is the largest section where Gentiles and people can come. It's kind of an open area. It's the easiest to get in. It's where you buy and sell stuff that you need maybe for worship. As you transition from there, you get into the temple of women. And if a Gentile were to pass that, like we said before, they could be killed on sight. Different type of worship in there. So keep that. It's not happening here. So you're good. And then as you move past that, you get the temple of the Israelites and then so on and so forth. Even further, the temple of the priests. And then you get to the Holy of Holies, which is the Naos, which is that's where the presence of God is. That's where the veil would eventually be torn. That's where only one priest per year can go in and no one has access, right? We, we see that change in the New Testament. We see that change... When Jesus passes through, when he is, when he's resurrected, that's when that happens. The earthquake happens, right? So before that, that wasn't it. This was how you went. And you went where you were allowed. And specifically in the temple, at the court of the Gentiles, at this time, this is what's happening. There's two, two things happening that are very large scale. If you want to come into the temple, you have to pay a certain amount of money. And if you don't have the kind of coin they take, you have to change it. So there's money changers. And these people are abusing that right by making people pay more than they should. Roughly a day's work, a day's worth of work is what they're paying to get in. And that's, that in its own, it's not huge, right? It's like, ah, we got to pay, that stinks, good deal, we'll do it, and so on and so forth. Also, if you have issues with blood or you have a baby or you're sick for a while, there's things that you have to provide as a sacrifice. And here it's pigeons, sometimes doves, and you could buy them outside of the sanctuary, but if they weren't perfect, then they would make you replace them when you got inside. So it would cost you a little bit outside. If you got in, it would cost you about a month's wage to come in. So what was happening is people who were Gentiles or foreigners were coming into this temple, and in order for them to have their right to worship God, they had to follow these rules. So they entered with stipulations. They entered with prejudices. They entered, and it was noisy, and smelly because there's live animals. In another passage, it actually talks about in Mark, actually, that this is the part of the temple people were taking a shortcut through. So you're, you, go, you show up, you pay a month's wage, which for us is what? Like, as pastors, that's like 25000 right? It's like a month. Just kidding. <laughs> what, what is like an average, maybe like in a household, maybe like six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000 a month for a household. I don't know if that's high or low, but let's just say that's a lot of money to pay to go in and have worship, right? To go in and present sacrifices plus a day's work, and you get in and you're like, man, I've been, I've been waiting to get here. This is like a big deal. 
this is, I'm traveling to my like place and there's like birds using the bathroom over here and there's people screaming and, and there's guys you can see that are abusing people like you. Like when you show up, you're the person, the Gentile, you're like, I'm not the same here. I can see that clearly because women are allowed there and then Israelites are allowed there and then priests are allowed there and I can't even go there. So this is, not, this is where I'm allowed and in my space, I'm not even allowed. Like it's not even a safe space for me to worship. And so, so much about identity right there, just in that one part, to know that your kind in the place of the temple is not welcome. So much so that they have turned it into a market and they could care less about your well-being. So you show up and you're like, well, this is not awesome, but you still have the heart for Jesus or you still have the heart for worship and you're there and, and this is annoying. So Jesus shows up into this setting. So this is important because we talk about, well, even Jesus got angry. Let's just be careful with that because it wasn't like he got angry 130 times, right? He got angry once that we know about and he did something crazy. And it was because of three specific things. Fellow man to fellow man or woman was harming one another, and he is not okay with that ever. Somebody in the house of God could not worship rightfully, and he is not okay with that ever. And people who needed to be taken care of were being abused and manipulated. He is not okay with that ever. So he walks into the temple. He walks over to a table. Do we have this image? It's like an old art image. And he flips over. I love this guy in the front. Just ate it. Just ate it. He's just eating wood. Just chomping on some wood there. And this is probably not the actual what it looked like. Um, But I love this idea of Jesus going in. And I'll just say, this doesn't say scripturally, but the table for him would become such the center of everything that maybe he was just thinking here. This is about to become a huge symbol for my church because it's where the Eucharistic communion, this is where... This is where you gather. So this may be more than just, I'm upset. He flips over a table, right? And I love that it doesn't say Jesus was like, and you need to leave, and you need to leave, and you, sir, need to leave, and you need to leave. The people in the presence of Jesus that are there for selfish reasons flee when Jesus' presence shows up. There's a lot there for us. And when his presence shows up, you see him heal, heal people. People start getting healed. And then there's not even supposed to be stinking kids in this temple. But in this passage, because all the crazy things happening, kids are running around singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they get upset that kids are saying Hosanna. All this happened. They're like, they just never get it, really. Like, you don't realize that he just basically challenged everything about your religion. And you're mad that the kids are doing this. Right? There's something so beautiful about that to me. I love that he doesn't clear him, but I want to read you this really quickly. There's so many things that I could say in this passage, and I promise myself I won't get on a soapbox. This is no bad test. And again, I'm quoting from William Barclay. George MacDonald once said that he placed no value on an alleged Christianity of a man at whose door or at whose garden gate the children were afraid to play. If a child thinks a person is good, the likelihood is that person is good. If a child shrinks away, a man may be great, but certainly he is not Christ-like. Somewhere, Barry draws a picture of a mother putting her little one to bed at night and looking down on him when she is half asleep with an unspoken question in her eyes and in her heart, my child, have I done well by you today? The goodness which can meet the clear gaze of a child and stand the test of a child's simplicity is goodness indeed. This is why we do Family Sunday, by the way, because we have a lot of people who really don't 
we have, I, I know when we have Family Sunday and new people come, I'm like, oh, it was fun having you here today. It was good. Everybody shake their hand because they're not coming back. Because in Family Sunday, we invite all of our kids, and it's one of the best ways that we can show them we're not going to turn you into consumers. We're not about to do what was done to us, where we're going to make kids' ministry all about everything you ever want, and all your dreams are going to come true, and there's going to be clowns, and there's going to be games, and you're going to have Xboxes everywhere, so that when you grow up and you become an adult, you won't care for anything that's truly actual gospel. You will wait for everything to be poured on you. We have them in here, and we have them scream and crying and running around because it's important that they see it's not always about you. And that's why today we have people going to every church demanding to be fed differently. It's so crazy. I do it. You do it. It's a part of how we were raised. And I love when Jesus shows up to the temple and points out the thing to him that's like, this is not what the church is about. I'm toppling that, and he clears it. I love that kids start to play again. Are kids allowed in our church? Are they allowed in our settings and life groups? Are they allowed at our tables? Are they allowed to hear spiritual truths? Because they probably understand them better than we do anyway. And I know that's true by conversations I have with Noah and Nava and Lathy. They get things so clearly sometimes, I'm like, oh, man, I've so become an adult. I've so become an adult. Watch the, watch the movie Winnie the Pooh. It's one of the best things, man. <laughs> you can read the Bible, but watch Winnie the Pooh. I was watching it last night, and they were, they were on a train together. Who's seen this movie? Okay, so they're on a train together, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly annoyed with Winnie the Pooh, and I'm not saying this out loud. And he's looking out the window trying to, like, pass his time, and he couldn't think of anything to do, so he just goes, tree, house, grass. And what's his face? Christopher Robin's like, can you do that quieter? And he's like, yes. And he's like, something I don't know what it is. <laughs> And I didn't get it at the moment, but at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, I get it. We're called to be present. We're called to be very present with right now. We're called to be where we're at. We're called away from the fast food mentality. We're called to be present with the body. Do you know what Jesus was doing here? He was restoring a church that he could be present fully in, not so that we can be like, I want to be a part of a church that Jesus is present. No, so that you can be present. He's showing you your presence is important. Your presence is important. Whether you love the preaching Hate the preaching, love the worship, hate the worship. Your presence is important, not because of what you're going to get, but because when you are in this setting, wherever that setting may be, you change it. You bring something to the table. And every person, it's the easiest it's ever been to not be a part. It is. We can watch good stuff on TV. There are great sermons happening right now on my television. There are terrible sermons happening right now on my television. There's the best worship you've ever heard in your life being streamed on Hillsong Channel. They have their own channel. The thing that he is asking us to copy him in, I'm, I'm flipping over tables. Here's what we do. We flip over, over our tables and we're like, peace out. This is what I thought you were. This is what I thought the church was. Peace out. See ya. He's like, no, I'm flipping over tables to go into it and make it beautiful. If you have a table to flip over, be ready to do the work of making it beautiful. Because if you're flipping over a table just to do that, you are doing nothing. You're creating a little cluster of people who learn how to flip over tables and devalue the bride of Christ, which is his love. He loves his bride, whether we like what they're doing or we hate what they're doing, it's his bride. And just like Alex said, I don't even remember what she said. It'd be way cooler if I could, but I don't remember it. But it was good about the bride of Christ. So talk to Alex. <laughs> Amen. So, 
So this passage has been used historically. This passage has been used historically to devalue the church. This is a reason why. In, in actual centuries-long movements of this is not important, but that's not what we do. Jesus fights for the temple because at the temple and at the table, we learn who we are. We learn how to talk. We learn how to deal with a Judas at our table, right? We learn how to deal with our own issues that we've been hiding from sharing. We learn that everyone at the table is important. We learn that at the table, if we're centered around Christ, things will happen that could never happen outside. We learn so much about how to love people. We learn so much about how to love ourselves. We learn that the meal is not about us, right? You show up at a meal and it's like, if the meal was made for you only and it's Thanksgiving, it's confusing, right? A meal is about sustenance for the whole group. The whole group is alive. And the whole group needs to live, go forward. So we all have tables and we do. Whether you believe it or not, and many of us don't even want to talk about them, we all have tables when we look at the church or his body or his Christ that we want to flip over. And it's okay if you want to flip them over. I have many, right? Like, I have many, many, many tables that I would like to flip over. I've flipped over tables and harm people. I've thought it was Jesus telling me my mission is to go flip over tables. Many people think that that's their mission. Like, it's their job to highlight all of the bad stuff about the body of Christ. Just like it would, but it's awkward because in my own family, I wouldn't, like, put Sarah on blast every week for all the things that she doesn't do well, right? It's our job, right? To see those things about the church, the temple, the body that we don't like, and see what the heart that God is developing in you. What is it, what is it that pushes your buttons? What is it that's driving you? What is it saying? This doesn't seem right. It's probably not. It's probably not right. What are you going to do with it? Because if we move into community... We hand our kids this temple, which will be handed to them one way or the other. And they could be laughing and dancing and singing Hosanna, or they could be kicked out of the temple, right? We have a responsibility, those who are abused in our community, to look them in the eye and say, you have a place here. And create a space, even if it means toppling tables. So much here. Jesus flips to enter he fights to restore, to be present as he is present. It's his example. Your presence matters. Don't just be the Christian that said, all I need is God's presence. That is not true. That is not true. It's not biblical. It's not theologically correct. He has called you to a community. That's why you're a part of a whole. You will never be complete without the body of Christ. Whatever you think is happening, it's not happening if you've decided to create it on your own. Even your calling, if you decide to take your calling forward on your own, it might be amazing because you'll notice maybe a gift in there because everyone has it. But if you decide to whittle that calling down in the midst of people that love you, challenge you, then something totally different will happen with that. Voices into what God could do. You can't escape it. We can't escape it. And I don't want my kids to escape it. It's already hard enough to make them sit still for 10 minutes to help them fall in love with a community that will carry the world forward. It takes heart, passion. It takes flipping over tables as a community. But Jesus has to be the one that flips them over. If there's a table to be flipped over, your job is to pray. If there's a conversation to be had, you have the conversation in love. If there's something that you know is not right, you have the conversation with wisdom after already having it with Jesus. You bring it to your community. 
And then you just pray. And if you can do it that way, worship is, is possible. Worship is possible in that setting, I think. So really quickly, personal check. And I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to get done a little quick. Is that cool? Personal check. And this is your own heart because we also are the temple and our hearts are the temple. So this is where I might be kind of throwing my own spin on it. But in your own heart, there's tables that have to be toppled. And the one big one that I see is how this Gentile court became a shortcut for people that literally thought, I need to get where I'm going. And the quickest way for me to get where I'm going is through this Gentile court. And I believe this is a picture of what we think church is to be for us. This place is a shortcut for me to get where I'm going. And if it's not this place, it's the next place. This place is here to get me where I'm going. This place exists for my calling. This place exists for what I could become. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. Your shortcut keeps people from worshiping. If you're in a setting for yourself for a long period of time or a short period of time to get what you need from God only, you are keeping people from worshiping. That's what I believe. If you're in a setting abusing people or taking advantage of something, this is the things in all of our hearts, right? Like what's truly, what's truly motivating your love for God? What's truly drawing you to him? Is your Christianity only about what you can get? Listen, that's like, we're, we're even teaching that really good. You pray what you need, God provides it. You say amen, you move on. There's like whole movements built around that. But you exist in community for the other, serve the other, to love the other. The personal check. I want to read you Isaiah 65, 11 actually really quick. Isaiah <laughs> was hardcore. You guys should just read Isaiah. He is... He's like, you want it to be told pretty? I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you all the things that are going to make you want to scream and cry and run. But he says this really clear in Isaiah 65, 11. But you forsake the Lord who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for... Pretty sure I've heard sermons about that. The table God prepares for you is for you to be chosen, to be blessed, Broken, given. That's the community. So the move here, and you can close your eyes with me. The move here in this passage is to be Jesus, is to be like Jesus, is to see the Father of all loving and giving the body, and to see Jesus coming to this earth, being killed, being resurrected, to see him gathering a group of men and sending them with the Holy Spirit and saying, start this church, to see an Acts, the start of this beautiful church where people are preaching messages you've dreamed to preach, like Peter and Stephen, and to see these people gather and the Lord adding to their number daily, and to see these clusters start to build in cities, because this would be the house for the Holy Spirit and the temple of the Father, and to see these communities start to flourish and to start to be persecuted, and to see the enemy build up and fight against them, and to see them continue to thrive, and to see them to carry the message of the apostles and the, and the heart of Jesus' teachings into the, for, the forward centuries, all the way through crazy stuff, carried through wars built around the wrong thing, carried through times where we 
we rewrote scripture where we abused it, carried through things where we need to decipher all the way to today. And we are here with it now. And this temple that Jesus died for and started in Acts and, and Paul wrote many books to, most of the Bible to, is now what we exist in. We live in it. We live in something that in, in 400 years could be, there could be things written about it and people would say, oh my gosh, you know what was happening. If we were just like the 20th century church, like we're living in that. And what are we doing with it? And how are we loving it? And how are we creating a space for those who are the Gentiles in our world who feel abused and less than? And how are we creating a space for those who want to exuberantly praise like children? And how are we opening our doors for the house of God to be a house of prayer for people to commune with him, to not commercialize it, to not build a system so strong that we can businessify it, that we can just have the house of God carrying God's people being present with each other and being present with we are in that now and the move that Jesus is making is saying look at those things with eyes of wisdom in the Holy Spirit and that let me topple them with you maybe you're a prophet into this this century maybe you're a prophet into the church like Isaiah was and maybe I'm calling you to topple table tables through the power of my Holy Spirit but it's all for this beautiful gift called the church that will love that will harm We'll go after it. We'll create spaces for it. We won't sit in sanctuaries mad at our brother and sister because we didn't get our way. We won't fight with the other denominations. We won't demand that we get what we get because we've been here for so long and we've been waiting. We will sit selflessly and serve. We will travel through whatever we have to travel through, teaching what we have to teach to get to the point where we die so that we can become even more powerful because that's your message. And I say thank you for every human in this room and every human in every other church around us right now, those that I would do it like and those that I would be like, I ain't ever doing it like that. I thank you that we are gathered. I pray that you would restore the hope of the church, that when people would look into our churches, they would see hope, love, peace, joy. They would see kindness. They would see such generosity that it draws people, that when we're fought against, that when people accuse us like the enemy does, we don't accuse back, we love back. God, that we would be this temple that you created. God, you know I want to be it. That's my prayers. I want to be it. And I want the people in this room to fall in love with it. Not for the ideal of church, not for what we can build or gain, not so that we can be trendy or cool, not so that we can have a lot of money, but so that people can be restored and welcomed to a family, your family, so that we invite them to our table here and downstairs, but also in our homes. We look at people at Thanksgiving that don't even have a place to go and at Christmas and say, welcome to our home and to our family. What's your story? How can I partner with you? How do I love you? I also pray, God, that as we look at the people in our own community, we ask forgiveness for putting our ideals on them and for flipping over tables. And this is so for us. This is me thinking it's our job to flip over tables when that same table still exists in our own heart. We need you to flip over these tables, God, because I know I want to run around here like kids and children, and I want to hear kids screaming and crying, hallelujah and hosanna and whatever. And I want to see people come in who need help, who are abused, who are, and I want to see those people filled and freed and welcome to a family. Flip our tables over that need to be flipped over. We repent for building tables around things that do not the kingdom of God. Thank you so much.
I just feel like for a second, and in order to like restore that love, because that's my number one prayer. I always have this thing, I'm like, God, what's the prayer for today? It's for us to fall back in love with his bride. So I just want you to express, and you can keep your eyes closed if you feel goofy, but another way to combine, combat like consumeristic Christianity is to do things that are communal. That's not easy. What are we thankful for about the body of Christ? I'm going to give you guys a moment. God, as we leave, here in a moment we're going to do some prayer, but as we leave today, help us not go on a, a tangent and turn over tables everywhere. Help us to fall back in love with you. Leadership on that. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.